If I ruled the world, every day would be the first day of spring. Every heart would have a new song to sing, and we'd sing of the joy each morning would bring. If I ruled the world, every man would be free as a bird, every voice would be a voice to be heard. If I ruled the world, every man would say the world was his friend. There'd be happiness that no man could end. If only. The world isn't like that, is it? And I'm sure the world would be ten times worse if I ruled it. The world is made up of things that displease, that irritate us, that make us feel down, that spoil our enjoyment. Some, like the weather, we can do nothing about. But so often it's people who cause us unhappiness, people who criticise me, people who slight me, people who put me down, people who speak unkindly to me. And the situation the New Testament is most concerned about is when those people are fellow Christians. This morning in church, there's a fair chance that some of you have been upset or annoyed or irritated since you stepped through those doors. Whether by something someone said or failed to say as you came in, whether it's the attitude of someone sitting near you, whether it's something someone has said from this platform, whether you're upset about the content of the service, or you're upset about the church in general, or even about the denomination. Life is made up of these irritations and... So often we allow things to get under our skin and they spoil our enjoyment of life and spoil our enjoyment, our blessing of the service. But of course, for some of you, it is something more deep-seated. You're saying that's so trivial, Mike, but my hurt is deeper than that. It's not just an irritation. Somebody said something to me. Somebody did something to me. Somebody has hurt me in a deep way. Somebody's broken a confidence. Somebody's let me down when they promised something. And we think this should not be. And part of our irritation, part of our hurt, is the fact that this should not be when we are a company of people professing to believe in a God of love and professing to seek to put his teachings into practice in our lives. People sometimes have deep resentments and sometimes people have deep resentments about the most trivial things. I can remember once that in the church I was in, we were going round the village, knocking on people's doors, asking if there was anything we could pray for them for. And I knocked on this man's door when I told him which church I came from, he said, I'll never have anything to do with that church. I said, why not? He said, 
Years ago, I sent my little girl to Sunday school there, and the Sunday school teacher said, don't bring tuppence for the collection, bring sixpence. He said, I wouldn't have anything to do with that church again. That's true. That's what that man said. He must have been about 60. He'd been nursing that grudge for all those years. Now, you may laugh at that. Are you nursing something? Sometimes it makes us feel good to to nurse that grievance, to hug it to us. People do. And sometimes there are big things, aren't there? This world is made up of huge grievances and hurts. Just in the, one very big item in the news this week, there is still bitter argument about commemorating the genocide of the Armenians in 1915 almost 100 years ago, and there is still bitterness against the Turks and defensiveness by the Turks that they are not as guilty as people say. What do we do? What do we do with the pain that people cause us? We can get revenge, can't we? And this usually happens when it's, we're talking about a major scale You only have to look back a few years to Northern Ireland, to the situation in the Palestinian territories. We think about gangland revenge. Someone gets stabbed and then someone gets their revenge. In a Christian setting, we can get revenge on that person who's hurt us by saying something spiteful to them. We can say something unkind and it makes us feel that we've got our own back. We've taught them a lesson. We can criticise them behind their back. We can slight them. We can refuse to talk to them. And it is very sad, as I've gone around a number of churches over the years, to see so many churches where there are people in that fellowship who have not spoken to each other for years, even though they worship in the same church. But we're much more likely not to spite that person but to nurse our grievance. I have been hurt. I have been let down. I've been criticised unfairly. I've been passed over for some task I wanted to do in the church. And we hug that grievance to ourselves. And sometimes, sometimes that not only causes a breakdown in our relationship with that person, but sometimes with the whole church. And I know of people who have left churches and will now not go to a church at all, and I'm sure you know people like this, because of someone who said something to them, some grievance they have. So we can get our revenge, or we can just nurse our grievance to ourselves. But there is a third alternative, and it's much more difficult than the other two. But the New Testament is very, very clear that it's what God wants us to do with those hurts and those grievances. It's to forgive, which is so easy to talk about, so much more difficult to put into practice. Of course, Christians have not invented forgiveness. There are some wonderful stories of forgiveness in pre-Christian times and in other religions. But it is the central concept of our Christianity because in whatever Christian tradition 
you turn to. Forgiveness is at the heart of their worship of God and their fellowship with one another. If we were in any doubt about that, we only need to reflect on the words we all said together a few moments ago. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is at the heart, right there at the heart of our relationship with God. And it's forgiveness that releases God's love into situations of hurts and bitterness. I just want to think for a moment. I want us to think about three questions. First of all, what is forgiveness? Someone has said that forgiveness is the means by which the healing power of love is released into a situation. Forgiveness is the healing, is the means by which the healing power of love is released into a situation. Forgiveness doesn't brush it off and say the hurt doesn't matter. Forgiveness feels the hurt. Forgiveness acknowledges that yes, a wrong has been done. Forgiveness leads us to reflect on the situation and perhaps to reflect if, if I were, were part of that situation too, if I am not partly at fault. Forgiveness leads us to pray for the person, the church, who has caused us that hurt. And we ask as we pray, we ask for help. We ask for God's help that we might see that person as God sees them. With the love that God feels when he looks at him or her. And then we pray for that person with real love in our hearts. Asking for grace to see his needs as well as my own. And where appropriate we go to that fellow Christian, admitting our resentment, asking his forgiveness and seeking reconciliation. Forgiveness isn't an easy task. It's it's something unnatural that doesn't come naturally to our human nature. Why should I forgive? Why should I? After all, it was his fault. He never should have said that thing as a Christian. She should never have let me down in that way. The church should never have treated me like that. Why should I forgive? I was in the right. Why should I give up my right to feel hurt, to feel aggrieved? After all, he hasn't said sorry. You're right. Forgiveness is extremely difficult to put into practice. A lot harder than most preachers make out. I'm not pretending I find it easy. In my own life, I've only been able to do it by God's grace. But remember, remember that grace is freely available to each and every one of us. In a difficult situation, we ask God's grace to help us to do the unnatural. There's a lovely book. I was going to wave around in front of you, but I left it on my seat down there. But many of you will have read it. Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace? It should be required reading for every Christian. 
If you haven't read it, go out and get it. It's a, the best Christian book that's been written in the last 20 years. What's so amazing about grace? And Philip Yancey gives some wonderful stories about forgiveness and about lack of forgiveness in that. But rather than me just tell you half a dozen stories from Philip Yancey's book, I want to tell you about something that happened in my own life because I think that's a lot more powerful than preachers just getting up and telling stories they've heard other preachers say. A few years back, I was the minister of a lovely church, but I was caused a tremendous amount of pain by four or five very difficult people who held power in that church and pulled the strings. And to cut a long story short, I eventually felt so damaged that I resigned from the church. The church as a whole were very kind. They allowed Jean and I to stay in the manse until the purchase of our house here in Linfield had been completed. And during that time, Jean and I attended other churches. But during that time, not one of my persecutors con contacted me. I had no contact with them at all. But God spoke very powerfully to me as to what my reaction should be as a person who claimed to be a Christian. And I knew that I had to do what he was telling me to do. So the day before the removal van came, I went to each of those people's houses in turn, shook their hand and wished them God's blessing. It wasn't easy, but it was only easy because I had a sense that that was what God had laid upon my heart that I had to do. It was an unnatural act. But what did it do for me? <coughs> well, although there were many months were to pass before I could wake up in the morning without feeling a great sadness about what had happened in that church, but I'm glad to say that I felt no bitterness, no anger against the people concerned. And I thank God for that, because that was his blessing upon my life. Was there a sequel, you might ask? Was there a sequel to this? And there was. Jeannie, can you give me that envelope that I meant to bring up here? Thank you. Six years after I left the church, here in Linfield, I received this letter. Some of you have heard me give this testimony before. It was a letter that I read and um, I wept as I read it. It was for a man who had been one of my deacons at the church and had been one of those people who had caused me such pain. And he said, I'm not going to read you the whole of the letter, a couple of extracts and you'll get the flavour of it. Dear Mike and Jean, the writing of this letter is long overdue and should have been written long ago. There is a sense of unfinished business, and that unfinished business is reconciliation. We shall never be able to undo all that was done or resolve all the issues. However, we should acknowledge that the devil had a field day. And then Father down he says, and so I write this letter asking for your forgiveness for my part in that mess. It was several days before I could reply to that letter because I was so moved by it. This is God at work, my friends. What I did was not easy. What he did was not easy and took a tremendous amount of courage for him to do. Why should I forgive? 
Because it's something God tells us to do and it's something God may at this moment be telling you to do. Why should I forgive? It's because Jesus assumed that would be our normal behaviour. He taught his disciples to pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Why should I forgive? Because I read that Jesus Christ came into this world with all its hurts, with all its disappointments, with all its resentments. And he didn't complain. Jesus felt the full weight of all the resentment against him and the criticism and the false accusations and the condemnations and the sneering. And he never complained as if this was something unusual. He walked through this life with the love of God in his heart for all those he looked on. And he went to the cross to take to that cross all the cancer of evil that is in this world, your sin and my sin, all the evil that had been done to him and all the evil that had been done throughout the course of this world. And as he died in pain, hanging on that cross, he prayed, Father, forgive. Father, forgive. Many Christians would say that the whole message of the gospel is God is love. And of course it's true. But, it's not a love that says, oh, don't worry, it doesn't matter. It's not a love that says, let bygones be bygones, let's start all over again. For Jesus, sin was real. Jesus doesn't look at us and say, forget it, your sin doesn't matter, I understand human weakness. Sin was real. It was appalling. Sin had ruined God's creation. It had destroyed human relationships. It had caused God's chosen people to fall so woefully short of all the wonderful vision that God had set before them. And the weight of that sin that you and I could never have extinguished was laid on Jesus' body on that cross because there is no forgiveness without pain. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, says God's word to us this morning, from your pain and your deep hurt. But are there limits to forgiveness? Are there circumstances in which I don't need to forgive? Well, we know the answer. Josh has reminded us that Peter came to Jesus and said, look, this man's wronged me six times, and surely I can get my own back the seventh time. Surely I can snap back at him. Surely I can put him in his place the seventh time. And Jesus said, no, no, not until 70 times seven. Mind you, that does not give an irresponsible Christian the license to disrupt churches. And there is such a thing as church discipline with which if exercised in love can restore the unruly church member. But that's a different subject. There's also love, which is probably just as effective as church discipline. But some would put other restraints on forgiveness. And it's often said, what if the wrongdoer shows no sign of repentance? What if he doesn't ask for forgiveness? 
What if she continues to behave as she does towards me? After all, we only receive God's forgiveness when we repent, don't we? We only receive God's forgiveness when we say sorry to God. Well, this is a huge question. It's a theological question, and I'm not sure if I'm qualified to answer this, but it might help you if I tell you how I see it. When Jesus hung on the cross, he hung on the cross for my sins and for your sins, but he also hung on the cross for all the sins of the world. And all God's wrath against all the sin of mankind was poured upon Jesus as he hung on that cross. John the Baptist has said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But that forgiveness only becomes a reality in my life as I kneel humbly before the cross of Christ and accept that it was my sin that Jesus bore on the cross. While I remain aloof, going through life content in my self-centered way, that I don't need God's love, I don't need forgiveness. I remain a stranger to God's grace, unaware that there is waiting for me that forgiveness that could transform my life. So God had forgiven me even before I turned to him, but the cycle of love was only complete when I embraced that forgiveness and made it my own. There's a story that Philip Yancey tells of a Jewish rabbi who arrived from Eastern Europe to settle in the United States. And he said to Philip Yancey, he said, before I came to the USA, I had to forgive the Nazis. I could not come to my new country with Adolf Hitler in my heart. Two things that story says to me. First of all, we can forgive those who do not, cannot, or unable to say sorry, who may have been gone, long gone. We can forgive them. I can release myself from all that pent-up bitterness that perhaps I've been nursing and carrying with me for many years. I can let it go by forgiving that person, even though they're not here in person, to convey my forgiveness to And when we do that, we will feel such a release of love, such a wonderful release, a wonderful freedom, as we let go that bitterness and hurt against the person who has wronged us. Well, my friends, this is a subject that we could talk about so much and we will never exhaust and we will never fully grasp. But it's a subject that affects us all. There cannot be many of us who have nobody we need to forgive. Be that wrong trivial or serious. Be it this morning or many years ago. We may have been holding on to that grievance as a child clutches its favourite teddy bear. But God wants you to let go. To let go. We have prayed, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And then after teaching his disciples those words, Jesus said that if you do not 
forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will not forgive yours. Does that bother you as to which comes first? Because it did me for a long time. But then I read something that helped me, and the thought is this, and I'll leave this with you as my concluding thought this morning. That as we receive God's forgiveness, we open our hands to receive that forgiveness and we come open-handed. As the hymn writer said many years ago, nothing in my hand I bring. And we come with open hands to receive God's forgiveness. And as we open our hands, we let go of the resentment that we've been holding on to. We let go of all the bitterness in our heart against our fellow men. And as we receive God's forgiveness, his forgiveness flows through us. And as we walk in fellowship with him, as we walk in his light, we're enabled to forgive people their trespasses against us. It won't be easy. But then nobody ever said that the Christian life is easy.